0: thank you thank you thank you oh i love that line i i stop all negotiations with the god of all creation what an affirmation of our faith how many of you love to negotiate with god how many of you are bargaining with god god if i'll do this if you do that god i need you right part of our christian faith we like to negotiate so i love it when we sing a song with You know what? God is God. He gets to do what he wants. He's the Lord God Almighty. You don't get to negotiate with him. I mean, you can play that game if you want, but what God really wants is the God of all creation wants us to surrender to him, to yield to him, to trust that what his word says is true, and then follow it, lean into it, live it out as an act of faith. And that's one of the greatest challenges in the Church of America today. We believe, but our beliefs don't often translate into behavior that uh, reflects what God's Word is teaching for His people to live and love and serve and give and forgive and all of these ways of living that Jesus taught about. And so today, I'm hoping we can kind of bring those two together. What you believe, stop negotiating and start behaving or living out your faith in ways that uh, reflect that you love Jesus. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'm gonna invite you to turn to Colossians chapter one. And before I jump into it, I was told this morning that Drew and Rebecca Boa, you're here, it's your last Sunday with us, you're moving to Colorado. I hate it that you're moving, we love you. Where are you guys? Stand up. Are you here? Are you, are you playing hooky? Oh, you're in the back row. I love it. All right. Hey, we love you. We miss you. God bless you. Thanks for all you've done to make our church better over the years. And uh, we're sad to see you go. Hey, I want you to think before we jump into this passage, I want you to think about the word first, 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 um, first place. What does it imply if you're you got first place. You're the best, right? You're like, what about if you're first string? There's something about being first string versus third string, right? What does it imply? You're better if you're first string, right? You're There's something special about you if you're first team, All-American. This idea of being first, how about having a book? I had my, one of my dad's best friends, Paul Taylor, he used to collect, first edition books. First edition, more valuable, more special, right? There's something about first in our culture, in our world, in our lives. Uh, Any of you are mountain climbers, the first ascent to summit a peak or a mountain. There's something about being the first one to do it. More courage, you're more special, you're more of a leader, you're more important. There's these, right? Are are you with me? Would you agree with me? And so I want you to notice what you notice as we read Colossians chapter 1. Paul is making an argument that Jesus is first in everything. He's supreme. He's special. He's different. He's unique. He's number one. He's greater than anyone or anything. That's what I see as I simmer in and soak in this passage. There's like a neon sign that just says Jesus is greater. Jesus is number one. Jesus is first in everything. Let me read it for us. Colossians 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It's going to take me a while to get through this path. Christ is the visible what does God look like? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Some of you are wondering, What's, I wonder what God's like. The Bible says, look at Jesus. What is God like? Look at Jesus. He's the visible image of the invisible God. That's how we, he's, he's greater. And then he goes on to say, He existed before anything was created and is supreme. There's that word. Supreme, first, greater, more important, more valuable. He's supreme over some of creation. Is that what it says? No. All creation. He's greater than all of creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see, And the things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything, that includes you, everything was created through Him and for Him. For Him, you and me, we were created for God. We were created to be in a personal relationship with the living God, to worship him, to love him, to serve him. We were created, the Bible says, and in the Bible, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is our authority, not the Wall Street Journal, not a certain news station. The Bible is our authority. It says you were created by him and for him, for him, to serve him, to honor him, to worship him, to put him first. First. Created by him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before anything else. Or another translation, he was the firstborn of all creation. First again. Created before anything else and he holds all creation together. He holds all creation together. How many of you are stressed out and worried about what's happening in the world? Underline this part of the verse. He is holding all In other words, it's gonna be okay because you're not in charge and neither am I, but God is. He is the sustainer. He holds all things together. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, or again, another translation, firstborn. There's that word first again, and then here's this little phrase, do you see it? So, he is first in everything. He is first in everything. That's what the Bible is teaching us this morning, that Jesus is first in everything, and it begs the question, is he first in your life? Is he number one, is he supreme? Is his voice the loudest? Or is your wealth manager or wealth advisor, is his or her voice the loudest? Or your CPA, is his or her voice the loudest? Or again, your parents or your friend, whose voice is the loudest? Paul says he's first in everything. And then he goes on to say, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, what did God do? God reconciled. Through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How did he do that? How did he do that? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. The cross is the center of everything. And this morning, I'm going to challenge you. I want to have a circle. If you were wearing a t-shirt with a circle on on your t-shirt, is it a money sign in that circle or is it the cross in that circle? What is the center? What has first place in your life? Paul said that through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And then... The next three words. This includes, say it out loud, you. This includes you. Bible speaking to you this morning. This includes you who were once far away from God. And today, some of you may still be far away from God. You may be here and seeking. You may have been brought by a friend and you're not a believer. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. In fact, if that's you, you might want to high five your Christian friend right now and say, "After this sermon, you might not want to be a Christian anymore. You might be joining me, you know." This message is going to it's going to mess with some of you. I'm going to I'm going to poke at some of you. I'm going to Is it okay to be a little spicy this morning? Is that okay? Max, you going to be are we still friends? Okay. Here we go. Buckle up. Everything in everything 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 in this passage shouts that Jesus is greater. That Jesus is first. That Jesus is, in the words used there, supreme. And if that's true, and that's that's what begs the question this morning, if that's true for you, then that changes how you live your life. At least it should. It changes how you navigate relationships. It changes whether or not you worry and how much you worry and what you're stressed about and what's freaking you out and what you're angry about. It changes your attitude towards your possessions, towards how you spend your money, whether or not you give your money, how much of your money you give, where you give it. It impacts whether you're a resentful person or a bitter person or a forgiving person, whether you're locked up or you're freed up, whether your identity is in God and Christ and being a child of God or your identity is in your abs or your health or your beauty or your whatever it is. If you're a person of faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, what Paul is saying, if Jesus is who he said he was, and if this passage is true that he is greater, he is supreme, he is number one, it changes everything. Verse 18, underline it, circle it, so he is first in everything. And if that's true, then he is deserving of all glory and all honor and all praise. He is deserving of us worshiping him, singing, crying out, following him, not negotiating with him, following him because he's trustworthy. Which is why we read throughout Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, there's this spiritual principle that we can't get away from, that God's people, when, when God's people truly recognize who Christ is, we worship him. We put him first. And we give. We give. Not just our time. We give our money. It's just so interesting. The people of God throughout Scripture are invited, are called are even commanded to give God their best, their firstborn, their first fruits, their tithe, which is the first ten percent of whatever they produce in terms of work. There's a theme throughout Scripture. I have a stack of books here. This isn't John Ireland making this up. I, I actually went on vacation, but took a bunch of books with me the last couple of weeks. I don't oh man, I'm gonna. Got to talk to our church family about stuff. The Genius of Generosity by Chip Ingram. Great little book. The Treasure Principle. Discovering the secret of joyful giving. And there, you're going to find repeated in every book that, that giving and generosity is to be joyful, not grumpy giving. It's not like, oh God, the church needs my money, or oh, young life needs my money, or whatever, man. That's that's called resentful giving. How many of you have ever given cuz you felt pressured? I have. And you know what? I left this fundraiser dinner and I, I I felt pressured and and you know what? When you feel pressured to give, you know what happens? You become resentful. All of a sudden, rather than being joyful about the organization, I'm like they were pressuring me. Now now I'm like like mad at them rather than joyful. So th- we're not here to have me pressure or guilt you or it's it really is about If I love God, if I have faith and I trust him, the question back is, does God trust me? Can God trust me? That's really the big question this morning. God entrusts every one of us with resources, and the question is, can he trust you to provide the resources for his work and his mission? The treasure principle. Tim Keller, Jesus the King, and his teaching in the Gospel of Mark, on, a lot of it has to do with giving. Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Man, that that book changed my life. My friend Dan Biederman gave it to me. I was looking in the front. 1999, he gave me this book for Christmas, and then we met. And he actually discipled me about giving and how my giving wasn't aligned with who God and his word was calling me to be. And then here's one more that I think is worth reading. It's called God and Money, How We Discovered True Riches at Harvard Business School. These two guys were getting their MBAs at Harvard Business School, and, uh, and then they, they did a whole research project on generosity, on giving, on money, and what's the Bible uh, say about money, and uh, there you go, all right. So I've been reading all this stuff, and now you get to decide for yourself, I, I, let me just be clear, I am not the boss of you. I know that, I get that. I can't tell you what to do. But I can try and persuade you, can I? I can teach you God's word and hope that the spirit of God and the word of God nudge you, persuade you so that you're not negotiating with God. Some of you have lived your whole Christian life negotiating with God around money. And I just hope and pray through this next few weeks that you would just settle that issue in your life. Like God, you're first, you're supreme. Your Lord, you're not just my savior, you're my Lord. You're my master, which means I respond to your teaching and I live it out. So, let's just do a quick little survey here. Some people say, "Well, John, we're we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace, right?" It's interesting how many Christians love to use that argument. And and, and being under grace means I lower my level of giving rather than increase my level of giving. I don't quite understand that. But before the law was ever given, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Remember that story? I think I have just up on the screen here. It's just so interesting that both of these sons bring an offering to God. It says that Cain brought some of his crops as a gift to God. But Abel, it says he gave the best, the firstborn lambs from his flock. And I, I it, this part makes me uncomfortable in the Bible. It says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and offering, but, but not Cain's. He rejected Cain's because... Cain cheated God. He didn't give his best. He didn't give his firstborn. He gave his leftovers. Let me, let me just say about my own life, it doesn't require any faith from John and Natalie Ireland to give leftovers to God. No, that doesn't require faith. If I got anything left over, God, you can, I'll give it. That requires zero faith, zero. The scriptures are inviting us into you thought the from mild to wild series was over last week. Uh-uh. I mean I'm extending it to today. The scriptures invite us into the adventure of trusting God's word and what God word what God's word says. It's not just about having a quiet time. I had my quiet time, check. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. I'll go work at the rescue mission, check. That's not what the Christian life is. It's about living your life when you hear God's word, we respond to it in obedience because we love him. And our giving reflects our love, our devotion, our commitment to Christ who's first in everything. So let me just, you know, you got got this Genesis 4, then you go into Exodus. The people of God are, are about to be delivered Out of slavery. Again, uh, foreshadowing of Christ coming to deliver his people from the slavery of sin. And we read this during the Passover in Exodus out of Egypt, God said to Moses, Dedicate to me the lastborn among the Israelites. That's not what it says. The firstborn. Why? There's something about the firstborn important, special, valuable. The firstborn and the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals, he says, belongs to me. Belongs to, not to you, belongs to me. This is what you must do when the Lord fulfills the promise he swore to you and your ancestors. When he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord for they belong to him. There's a spiritual principle in scripture throughout. First, God wants our best, our first. Then you skip to Deuteronomy 26. When you enter the land, now they're out of of Egypt. He says, when you enter the land, the Lord your God's going to give you as a special possession and you've conquered it and settled there. What are you supposed to do? Put some of the first Produce from each crop you harvest into a basket. Bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Again, first. Proverbs 3, the wisdom literature. And wisdom literature has to do with becoming a person that's skillful at living. Did you know that? That's what that's what wisdom is in the Hebrew. It has to do with skillful living. Well, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, say it out loud. That was a whisper. First fruits. First fruits. The joy of generosity. I get to give God my first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Have you ever taken God up on that promise? I wonder. Okay, God, I'm gonna honor you with my first fruits. I'm gonna do it. And then trust that God will provide for you, that God will give you the ability to make more, to provide for your family. Oh, yeah, I forgot, there is the fine print that somebody maybe forgot to tell you when you became a Christian. It's that God owns everything, and what you have is a direct result of not how awesome you are, but how awesome he is. Proverbs chapter 10, 22, the wisdom literature, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. Do you believe that? I had a close friend who was part of our church for many years. He's moved out of town now, a real estate guy and he, this is what he said to me, I thought, uh, he was a very wealthy man, and he said, you know what, I'm not smarter than anybody else. He goes, when 2008 happened, and people lost so much, he goes, I was in between deals. I, I, I filter it as God, God was watching over me. It was a grace in my life. He goes, I had a lot of other business friends and, that lost so much, and it's not because I'm smarter than them. I loved how he just gave credit for his journey. He just said, I I was blessed. I don't know why, but I received that as a blessing uh, from God in my life for the wealth that I have. Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth people of God, do you believe that? I mean, honestly, this is where we're in the scriptures. Is the Bible our authority? Do I actually believe that God is the one who gives me the ability to connect with people, to make business uh, relationships that are fruitful and profitable? Is he the one who brings people into my life and your life to make deals? Is his timing protecting me and providing for me? Is he the one who is giving you and me the ability to produce well? That's what the scripture says. You and I have to, are we gonna negotiate that with him? Well, no, Lord. I'm the one who made the phone call. Yeah, but you who gave you your voice? Who gave you the ability to connect with people? Who gives you air to breathe? Who dot, 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 dot? Again, some of the pushback on this is, well, this is all Old Testament. We're under grace, not law. And then I I, I was reading Hebrews 13, 18. It says, Jesus, the supreme one, the one who we're saying is number one, says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. The God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament, by the way. And I know we have Mosaic laws that are outdated and Levitical laws, but it's just interesting how I like to negotiate with God. Well, the money part, God, that's Old Testament, man. That, that, that's not me. Now it's whatever I feel like doing, right? Isn't that kind of the way it works? I don't know. You got to read your Bible and come to the conclusion without negotiating. That's why today I'm just trying to lay out for you the scriptures. I almost titled this sermon, Did Jesus Really Say That?, and so, just go back in your Bibles and read Luke 16, Luke 19, Luke 21, Matthew 6, Matthew 23, Matthew 25, and then read Paul. I mean, it's just filled with instructions and wisdom and guidance about money. And money is like—it's just—it's—it's it's the awkward uh, elephant in the room in the Christian church today. I read this week that the average follower of Jesus doesn't give 10% to the house of the Lord. They give 1.7%. And yet, everybody sitting in this room, if you can make living in Santa Barbara work, (laughs) if you figured out how to live in this town, you're some of the wealthiest, and I'm some of the wealthiest people on the planet. So I'm not rich. Well, quit negotiating that one too. You are rich if you're living in this town. And that's not to, to, to kind of go, eh, on you. It's to just have a self-awareness that money is a discipleship issue. It's a spiritual issue for me, and it's for you too. And when we go, I don't want to, I don't want to follow Jesus and all these, I want his blessing over all this, but I don't, I don't want to talk about, the scriptures are filled with instruction about worship and love And the way we express our worship and love is through our giving. And you know, the Bible says that money's a test. Did you know that? Rick Warren reminded me of that. I was reading a devotion. He said, Money's a a tool and a test, a tool to do good, to help the kingdom of God move forward and expand, and lost people found, people that are far from God to find freedom in Christ. It's a tool to help the poor, it's a tool to do good in this world. But it's also a test. God gives us resources and he wants to know, can I trust you? There's a lot that I could go on. Matthew chapter six, Jesus said, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And so my money exposes me. My Venmo, my checkbook, My credit card exposes me. What's most important? Who has my heart? Does my, where my money goes reflect that I love Jesus, that I'm committed to Christ, to his cause, to his kingdom? Let me, um, I just, maybe I'll close with the story of David. He's one of my heroes in the Bible. He modeled commitment and love for God He had a messy life, he had some areas of his life that were jacked up, man, he made some bad decisions. But when it came to wealth and money, and he was a very wealthy man, he gave enormous amounts of money to God's house. First Chronicles 29, there's this celebration going on, and in the midst of it, this mighty king, warrior, wealthy man, he prayed this, But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you, God? And then he says this, everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. We give you only what you first gave us. I want somebody to right now give me a $100 bill. Right now. Somebody give me a $100 bill. Dude, I'm loving Reed Lisea right now. You're carrying a C note with you, bro. Well, thank you, man. That was easy. Somebody else, no. What made it easy for him to come up and give me this $100 bill? Here's the secret. I gave it to him before the service. It's mine, but I gave it to him. But I said when I ask for it, I want it. And when I asked for it, he brought it. What a simple picture. David reminds us all of it is God's, not 10%, all of it is God's. And when he asks for it, can he trust you? Will you be faithful? Will you be responsive? Or will you be negotiating? My dishwasher broke, God. I can't do it now. Oh, when I get a raise, when I get promoted, oh, when I, after we get our house, after I renegotiate my mortgage, the interest rates are kind of high right now. Oh my gosh. Whose voice is loudest in your life? Is it your CPA? Are you like, well, you know, the most you can give this year because of your taxes is that, why does your CPA or wealth advisor tell you the most you can give this year? You can give even when it doesn't benefit your taxes. Did you know that? I think that's in the Bible. The giving isn't always related to the tax break. You can actually give even if you don't get a tax break. It's a lordship issue. It's a discipleship issue. Will we be faithful? Will we be responsive? Or will we be people that keep negotiating with the God of all creation. Here's how David concluded that prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. See, he gets it. David got it. He got that Jesus was number one, supreme, greater, first in everything. He said, Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor, they come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might, they're in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. At your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and we praise you. I'm not the boss of you. Let me close with that. I can't make you do anything. But I hope that you'll let the word of God begin a new work in you. That maybe today there might be a seed planted in your heart that you go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the king of negotiating in business and with God in my spiritual life. And I would hope today maybe that you might settle that issue in your heart. Like, God, I commit to stop negotiating and to start putting you first, first fruits First in everything, God has given everybody in this room resources that He's entrusted. And He says, Can I trust you? It goes both ways. Will you trust God and His Word? And then He's saying, And can I trust you? I gave you a hundred bucks. He could have left. I go, are you, I, I asked him, Are you here for the whole service this morning? <laughs> And he said, yeah, I'm here. I said, okay, here, here you go. Let me pray for us. Bow your heads. Soften your heart right now. Ask God, the Spirit of God, to give you understanding for whatever it is you're feeling. Some of you are excited right now because you're you're living it. You're, You're quietly cheering me on right now going, dude, preach it. And there's others of you that are sitting here stewing and bitter and going, no. And you can negotiate. There are scholars that look at tithing and explain it away. And there are scholars that look at tithing and say, hey, it's still a, it's still a 21st century principle in the New Testament. And we can get into this negotiation. And, and today I want to call us as a church to stop negotiating and settle this issue with the Lord and say, God, you're first. So kind Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that he has reconciled every one of us to you through the blood that was shed on the cross, the greatest sacrifice. And God, I pray that somehow in some way that you would bear fruit in our hearts and our lives, that we would move from obligation From giving, being a dirty word, or money being a dirty word in the church, to becoming a joyful journey of becoming people that are more like you, generous, sacrificial, sharing, helping. And Father, you show us, you show us where to give. If it's not here at this church, make make it some kingdom cause. Put it in people's hearts to put your mission and your kingdom first in their giving. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Challenge. I got 12 books up here. The Treasure Principle, now there's, it occurs to me some of you have never been discipled in money. And so we got 12 books, if you're like, you know, I don't, I've never really studied it, I don't really know, I just kind of heard maybe if, you, if you're like, this is a little book by the way. Like this isn't graduate levels. This is kind of the training wheels of the Christian faith on giving. If you're like, hey, I would like to invest in my spiritual life around this topic that we're talking about. There's 12 books up here. It'll be really interesting at the end of church if we still have 12 books left. God bless you come. The first 12 12 people that come get the book.